At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. Our passage is from Revelation chapter 21 this morning, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come before you and we, we desire what we've read about, what we've heard about right now. We, we are eager and we long for that day when all things are made new. And, and yet, Lord, we will recognize right now that although we would say we desire that and we do, that desire is not strong in our hearts. And so I would ask this morning that as we listen to your word, as we, as we lift our eyes and we see the things that you promise, as we see the, res- the resolution and the renewal of all things, as you declare in your word, increase our appetite for you. Make us more thirsty for your grace. Deepen our hunger for your newness and for your grace, Lord. And help us this morning as we pray and as we seek you through your word. Give us ears to hear and eyes to understand and and hearts to receive. And bless us, we ask now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. We've got a pretty amazing statement there in verse 5. God says, behold, I am making all things new. And yet, does that statement, does that, does that promise or reality, does that really make a difference in your life? It, it, think about this. In the last week, so just, just from last Sunday to today, if you thought about that statement, God is making all things new, 
Would that have changed anything about the way you live last week? While you were at work, plugging away on your computer or sitting in the meetings that you had to sit in or, or doing the things that you have to do at your job and in your vacation, would that biblical promise, God is making all things new, would that have changed anything about how you worked, how you live? While you're at home, taking care of your small children, running around the house, praying for a moment of relief. Would that statement, God is making all things new, would that truth have, have changed anything about how you live? While you're scrolling through Instagram on your phone or checking out Facebook or any other social media or while you're, while you're picking out what shows you're going to binge on Netflix late into the night this last week, would that declaration, God is making all things new, would that have changed anything about how you interacted with those social media platforms or binge watch or any of that? Now, my guess is, and I'm just speaking from, from my own heart, I'm not trying to judge anybody here, but, but knowing me well enough, my guess is why we would say that statement is true, and yes, we believe it, my guess is that maybe it wouldn't have changed too much in our lives. And it, it wouldn't have changed too much in our lives, not because the reality is not true, not because it is not good, it probably would not have changed much in our life not because you're a terribly horrible person that has no love for God, not at all. I'm confident that this statement that God is making all things new, this grand and, and promise and truth, it probably would not have moved the needle much in your life in a deep way because there's something missing about that statement in your own life. You probably don't have a longing or a desire built up in your heart for this to be true. And that's the thing that's missing in making change. I mean, it's a powerful, powerful promise. God is making all things new. But I wonder if we really have a desire for that to be true. Do, do we really have in our lives a vision of what that could mean for our future? If God is making all things new, and that statement should impact us today, it should change how we live now. If it doesn't, though, why don't we long for that? What could it mean for our future? You see, I think that the things that we desire in our lives are the things that end up getting our attention. The things that we long for are the things that become our focus our, our energy centers around that. We give attention to it. We give life to it. We give, um, we give work towards it and effort towards it. Our aspirations, our desires become the things that, that set the pattern in the course of our lives. Our desires become the things that change how we live. So I think it's true that desire motivates change. If, if you long to... To have something, if you long for something to be true about you, the desire for that inevitably creates change in your life. And yet without a real desire for God to make all things new, I don't think we will live in light of that future reality. If we don't truly long for God to, to make all things new, to make all things right, to, to come again and to, to reconcile us fully and completely to himself, if that's not something that's a deep-seated desire of the core of our hearts, 
I don't know if it's really going to change that much about how we live today. Let me, let me say it this way. I don't think we will see change now if we don't desire a future where God makes all things new. And so that's what this passage here in Revelation 21 is intended to do in us. How do, we, how do we get this desire? How does this deep longing come within us for all things to be made new? I think that, that this passage itself helps us by crafting that desire. It gives us, maybe if I could call it this way, a heavenly movie trailer of the future so that today we can anticipate and desire that future and be changed in light of that. Think about it. When you go to the movies... Uh, and I don't know why they, I do know why they call them trailers, because they used to come at the end of the movies, but media, you know, moguls, they decided to put them at the front end of the movies to keep the attendance there. But there's those series of two to three minute uh, trailers, little promos about the films that are upcoming. And if you think about those trailers, I actually like going to the movies to see them because they help me anticipate the films and the stories that are coming out down the line. The, the Spider-Man No Way Home uh, movie trailer broke a record with some 355 million views uh, over in 24 hours because everyone was eager and desiring for the next chapter in the Spider-Man saga. Those trailers create desire. And then they begin to change our lives. We, we build our lives around those trailers to say, hey, when's that movie coming up? We put it on our calendar. We maybe you budget to go see it in the theater. Like you begin to, to tend towards the things that you desire. This morning, I want us to desire the kingdom of God. I want this statement that God is making all things new to become a deeply seated desire in our hearts, a desire for a better land, a better country, if I could put it that way. And I want to equip us from these eight verses to build that desire in our lives. This, this text becomes kind of this movie trailer type ending, a true story trailer to help us build desire in our hearts. Why, why does God tell us what this looks like here at the end? Because he wants you to long for it. And he wants you to long for him. So as we look at these verses this morning, I want us to see there's some practices here. There's some intentional actions that, that God instructs John towards that, that I think are intentional practices that we should take up in our own lives in order to build desire in order to build a thirst and a hunger for God and for him making all things new. And if we will incorporate these practices into our lives, that desire will start to grow and flourish. And the change that we long for here and now in light of the future will come. So let me point out these three practices that are here that are intended to help us build desire in our hearts for God and for the reality that he is going to make all things new so that our lives change. Let's look at these three practices here from this passage. The first practice is to see. It's a visual practice. It's a practice for us to see the new reality, to get in our vision this grand promise and truth of what God is going to do, how God is making all things new. If God is making all things new, then we, we have to, in some ways, in the, mind, in the eyes of our mind, be able to envision it, 
and capture what he is doing. So John says here, here's the practice. He says, then I saw, okay? He has just been uh, talking about through this section these visions that God has given him. If we go back to chapter 19, verse 11, John has written a section starting with the words, I saw, and he makes these seven statements throughout this section from 1911 here to 21.1. He has these seven visions or seven I saw statements about what God reveals to him. We come to the final one here in 21.1, and it's this final section that points us to the conclusion and the resolution of the book of Revelation. Here, John, once again, he sees. He gets a picture of what God is doing, and this is what he sees. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. What does John see here in this vision? He sees everything new. Absolutely everything. Everything completely, totally new. New heavens, new earth. This is, this is the sum total of what God is doing. He is making all things new. He's bringing in an awesome new reality. A new universe even. When, when John says he sees new heavens and new earth, he is speaking of the sum total of the universe. Absolutely everything, comprehensively and totally, is made new. Now, why is this new heaven and new earth there, we might ask? Well, well, John says, because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, don't, sometimes in our minds we think of this as like, okay, here's where God nukes the planet, bombs out the universe, burns it all up and destroys it, and then he comes out you know, from behind the curtain. He's like, ooh, new, new earth, new heavens, new planet, new everything. I don't think it's so much of the description of annihilation and destruction of the first heavens and the first earth, but it's a recreation, a remaking of reality. The word here for new is not the idea of a first thing, a new thing in that way, but it's the idea of a qualitative newness. It's a, it's a completely distinct newness that is made. The conclusion of Revelation, the reality is that heaven and earth are not split, but that heaven and earth are one. All things are new. Now, Paul used similar language to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he talked about an individual, a person's life when they become a follower of Jesus Christ. He says, that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Now, in that statement, Paul didn't mean that like God blew up that old person and somehow rebuilt some new person, but it's a different person. There's a, the, the person is still the person, but yet there's a qualitative newness about that person. They, they are distinct and different from the old life that they lived in and walked in. So here the new heavens and the new earth are still the heavens and the earth, but there's a brand new shine to it. There's glory behind it. There's a, a brilliant newness freshness, a vibrancy that is here that does not exist at, that, at this moment, but it's coming. That day will be here. The old has passed away. And one of the clues about this newness of quality, I think, is found in the description of the line, the sea was no more. And my mom used to cry over this verse. She, she just became so sad about it, mainly because she loved going to the beach. She loved the ocean, and we lived in North Carolina when I was in high school. And, and she would tell me she would be disappointed to think that there would be no more beach days for her in the kingdom of God. 
Well, Mom, it's not talking about God wiping out the ocean here. I don't believe that's what's implied. The new heavens and the new earth will be days, beautiful, glorious beach days. But the idea of the sea here, John is drawing from Old Testament language, and he's drawing from themes earlier in Revelation that presented the sea as a place of chaos and evil. Back in chapter 13 of Revelation, the beast, God's great enemy, comes from the sea. The sea is the representation of everything evil and rebellious and opposed to God's order. The sea is a place of chaos. And here now at the end, God describing the new heavens and the new earth, all things made new, says, guess what? That evil, that chaos, that realm of destructive entity and evil over all things, it's gone. Everything's fresh, vibrant, pure, holy. There is no more evil, no more rebellion. All things are made new. Now think about that. Think about that day that's coming when we have a perfect earth. Perfect heavens. Heaven and earth are one. God is with his people, and there is no more evil. There is no more brokenness. There is no more wickedness. Doesn't that sound like an incredible day, an incredible life, an incredible world? Start putting that vision in your mind's eye. Start seeing it. That's not all John sees. Verse 2, he says, we see a, he sees a city. He says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now catch this. From heaven comes to earth comes this holy, brilliant, renewed community. God describes this, this people as a holy city. He describes them as New Jerusalem, the place of God's presence, coming down from him like a bride ready for her husband. This is a vision not so much of a place, but of a people. It's a vision of the church. God's new creation, his people are a new creation, made by him, renewed by him, restored by him, brilliantly glorious by him. And they are made to inhabit this new heaven and this new earth. We're getting a glimpse here. Just a, just a microscopic vision, if we can, if we can even just comprehend it in a little bit. We're getting a vision of the eternal existence and nature of God's people. I mean, this is, if I could put it this way, this is kind of back to the future sort of stuff in the other direction. We're seeing the best of who we will be down the line. What if I told you here in this description, a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God like a bride ready for her husband on their wedding day. What if I told you that you are included in that if you're in Christ? This is your future. Your future life is going to be incredible. It'll be far beyond the best existence. Your best day now will look terrible compared to that day. Far beyond what you could hope for or imagine. And get this, you will be the best version of yourself on that day. And you'll like it. You'll like you. And so will everyone else. That day, that, that person that is coming down the road, coming from God, is gloriously changed, radically new, described as holy, in community together as a city, as a community, from God, radiantly adorned for him. One of the things I'm nervous about myself 
as I get older is that I might become a curmudgeonly old man. I already feel the tendency in that. I just feel it happening in my life and in my heart to be the guy that kind of sits on my, on my patio and retorts as the kids go by, get off my lawn, get a haircut and a real job. I, I sense that happening in my, my heart at times. But this, this passage, it just helps me. It tells me that my future is incredibly bright. My ultimate destiny is not to be the cranky old guy. And guess what? If you're in Christ, it's not your destiny either. Your best days are ahead. Your best you is coming from God in Christ. And do you know what that means? Here's why we need to see that vision of us. Not just where we'll live, but who we will be. We need to have that vision in our minds today because that's who we're becoming. That's who God is making us to be. Today, we can seek to be more like Jesus, to be more gentle and more patient and more full of joy. Why? Because if you watch the trailer and you see the new reality coming down the pipe for you in God, you'll recognize that the curmudgeonly old person is not who you become, ultimately. Your future in Christ is incredibly bright. And if we keep reminding ourselves of that, if we keep seeing that and remember that future day when God makes all things new, it will change how we live now. You you may need to say to yourself, self, look in the mirror and say, self, think about who you will be in Jesus that last day. See, you will be holy. You you won't love the things of this world like you do now. You, You will be filled with joy a gloriously happy person because of what God has done for you in Christ. You will be the most patient person in the world because of what God does for you in Christ. You'll be kind. Oh, I long to be kind. I mean, that's a, that's a thing that we're like, that today you can tell yourself, look at that day is coming and lean towards that. See that bright, glorious future. All things made new, including you. Do you long for yourself to be made new? to be the best version of yourself? Well, friends, see that God is bringing that day. He's bringing it. See it. Tell yourself about it. Long for it. Be ready for it. So the first practice here that that God has for us, showing us this trailer of, of the end of the coming of Christ and of the renewal of all things is for us to see that God is making all things new. Get it in our mind. But there's a second practice for us here. And that practice is for us to listen. Just to to stop the voices in our hearts, the voices outside our head, the voices that are always telling us about the urgency of the moment. It's for us to listen about our future home, to hear about our new home. Think about what is coming for us in that day. So so John in verses 3 through 5, he goes on further to tell us what's happening. This time... Encouraging us not just so much to see, but to hear. And this is, this is a description or an exposition of what our new home will be like in verses 3 and 4. John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne. So here God speaks. He, he's getting a vision, new heaven, new earth, and he can hardly comprehend it. I mean, there's not even words adequate to put down on the page of what it will be like, except all things new, all things glorious. And then God speaks. 
from the throne, authoritatively, in truth, God declares and he says, this is what it's going to be like. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, no crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I mean, listen up to what this glorious city of God, this new heaven, this new earth, the kingdom of God will be like. Verse 3 tells us that it's the promise of God with us forever. There will be complete reconciliation, total relationship, complete joy with him forever. You will never feel that moment of like, ah, maybe God and I are on the outs again. Maybe, maybe things aren't going so well in our relationship. You will never ask yourself the question, where is he? He will be with you forever and you will be with him forever. And it will be so good. You will never feel abandoned or alone. You will not be isolated. You will know full and complete and total love and joy and gladness and peace and hope with him forever and ever and ever. What a beautiful thing. I mean, this sounds like paradise. I mean, it's the echo back to the beginning of the Bible, to Eden. It's strong here. We will be in perfect harmony and unity with God. He, as our God, our provider, our protector, our desire, our hope, our joy, our friend, our king, our lover, forever and ever and ever and ever. And everything created will be right and redeemed. God will dwell with us. No more separation. Does that, do you long for that day? Hear that that's the day that is coming. We will be with him forever. Furthermore, verse 4 states that everything will be made right. He will make all things right. God's compassion will extend to us in wiping every tear from our eyes. I mean, there will be no more sorrow over the brokenness of this world. His compassion will extend to us. And his love abounds to canceling and destroying death. There will, be, there will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow. We will never mourn or grieve the loss of someone or something ever again because there will be no more loss. There will be no more crying and anguish and pain and brokenness. The aches and the pains and the hurts, both physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually, they'll be gone too, wiped away by his presence. The former things, he says, all this stuff, all this stuff of sin and sorrow and evil and hatred and war and death and destruction, all gone. Even the shame of your sin or the, the brokenness and the pain of the past, your past, that hangs over your head like a ghost, wiped away and gone. Because you are with God forever, and he will take it away. He will make all things new. And this, this promise, this existence with him forever, he authoritatively offers it. 
Notice the first part of verse 5. He who is seated on the throne. Again, God, seated on the throne, speaking and saying, Behold, my dwelling is with you. I'll wipe away every tear. He who is seated on that throne, he speaks again and he says, Behold, I am making all things new. Friends, that day is coming. That, that hope is coming. Do you long for it? Do you desire it? You need to hear about this more and more. I mean, you need to pump into your ears the reality that God will make all things new, that he will be your God with you forever, never to be separated. All pain and agony and sorrow and suffering wiped away, tears gone. I think one of the things that makes the Disney park so successful is the promise and the invitation that they, they extend to come and be at the happiest place on earth. That's their slogan. That's their marketing campaign. And Disney does an incredible job of, of selling it to you. They want you to know how great of a time you will have there. I found a blogger who wrote about nine reasons why Disney World is the happiest place on earth. And, and just listen to a few of these things on their list. One, they said, you forget about your worries. Two, there's variety. There's four different parks. You get to meet your favorite characters. There's thrilling rides, magical parades. You live in the fairy tale. And then the rest of the list is like, oh, there's great shopping and food and amazing fireworks. You're like, okay, that's wonderful. Now, I think that's a pretty, uh, pretty good, pretty, uh, pretty incredible set advertising and sales pitch. And when you hear about that, even if you experienced a small taste of it, of Disney in your life, you, you, when you hear about that, you get kind of eager. If you said to your family, like, hey, we're going on a Disney vacation, everybody would get excited about it. They, they would say, hey, we're going to the happiest place on earth. Now think about this. In, in the same way, and yet to a greater degree, we need to get into our ears and into our hearts the better and superior reality of the new heavens and the new earth. Think about this, where Disney promises, hey, it's the happiest place on earth. You'll forget about your worries for a few hours, but then they come back after you leave. The new heavens and the earth, your worries are lifted forever. They never come back. I mean, you don't have to roll back to the hotel with tired and worn out children and face the regular life the next day. You're in a new universe to explore and enjoy forever, not just some contained park that, that's going to have its limitations and you're going to get bored with. You get, in Christ, endless delight. And it's not like in Disney you just get to meet the main characters. You get to be with the main character forever as his friend. I mean, you get a backstage pass, if you will, to the reality of who God is and his glory. Everything in the new heavens and new earth is joy and delight. It's bliss and a paradise. And it's not a fairy tale. It's reality. Now, again, let me ask you the question. How would you live your life today if that future is real and true? If that day, if you know that day is coming for you if you're in Christ, wouldn't it change your values and your priorities and your perspectives? But you won't desire that day if you don't have it in your ears. If you don't know that day is coming, if you don't hear that reality, God with us, he is making all things new, it's not going to move much. And that's why I'm afraid that we're too busy consuming the stories and perspectives and realities of this life and of this world. We've been spiritually numbed, I think, to the reality of a glorious future that we have in Christ, and so we forget about it. 
We're being told that you should pursue and live and have your best life now because there's nothing more to life than this. I mean, this is it. You only live once, so get it all now. Enjoy it now. And we're being deluded with offerings of pleasure and power and possessions, even a false peace told, have it here and now, by the way that we intake the narratives of this world. We're not listening to the voice of God saying the greater, the better, the true reality and the true home is coming for us. And so we don't desire it. We invest in this world like it's our home, our forever home, instead of investing our lives in the kingdom of God because that's where our forever home is staked. Friends, we need to to be very careful and we need to shut our ears to the siren calls of this world that lead to destruction and death and listen instead to the glorious future that God offers and has for us in Christ. This day, this hope, this heaven is coming. Do you know that? Do you hear that? Are you eager for it? Wouldn't everything in your life change to have that day, to have that home, to have that reality with God forever? Let the the little temporal stuff of this life just go. If we don't see the new reality and hear about that better home, desire won't grow in us. But I want us to long for the kingdom of God. I want us to desire the better home. And so there's one more practice here that we have to look at that we must embrace. It's, it's well and good that you hear about it and that you see it. You watch a trailer of a movie, as it were. You hear, the, you hear the story of what it will be like. But friend, if you don't receive it, if you don't act on it, it means nothing. And so the third practice is that we must receive the promised word. I can tell you about how great a place is or an experience or a relationship is. And, and I can just encourage you and use all the language I can find to help you enjoy it but you truly won't enjoy it and experience it unless you take me up on my words. So so Jesus' word to us through John contain an invitation that we must act upon. He tells John here, here's the next action, to write this down. The end of verse 5, he says, Write it down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Put it in the book, as it were. Confident, established, solid promises that are here. Unlike Disney that is selling a product that ultimately doesn't deliver on ultimate satisfaction and complete and total joy and happiness forever, Jesus' words are so solid you can bank your entire life on them. His words are sure because of who he is. Verse 6, he said to me, it is done. At the end of the book, he says, it's accomplished It's done. This is a future promise and reality that is coming for us if we are in Christ. It is accomplished. It's done. The same thing he said on the cross. It's finished. You can bank on it. And why can you bank on it? Because of who he is. Jesus describes himself and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, a title for deity. He is God, the beginning and the end, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the sum total of all things. You can bank on me in this. He's not a liar. He's not one to give you incomplete joys. He's going to give you everything from start to finish. Now here's the question. Do you want this all things new, forever with God, kingdom and paradise? 
Do you desire that? Is that something you, you hear Jesus say? It's, it's beautiful, it's incredible. New heavens, new earth, I'm with you forever. All sorrow and suffering is gone and wiped away. Does that entice you? You say, yes, Jesus says, good. I'll give it to you for free. What? That's what he says in verse six. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. This offering of eternal life and joy and happiness and bliss with God forever and ever is a free offer. It's a free gift to the thirsty. What do you need to get it? All you need to be is thirsty. All you need is desire, longing. It's need. If you're spiritually hungry and thirsty, my friends, and needy, Jesus says, come on in. Get it. You'll have it. He's just saying here the same thing that the entire Bible has said. I think he's picking up on Isaiah 55. Isaiah says, God says in Isaiah 55, come to me, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And and if you have no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Verse 3 of Isaiah 55, incline your ear. Come to me. The invitation is just out there. Come to me that your soul may live. And God says, I'll make with you a forever covenant, a forever covenant everlasting promise or covenant. And you know what that is? He says, it's my steadfast, sure love, the same kind of love I poured out on David. David, the king, the man after God's own heart, who was a messed up man, an adulterer, a a murderer, a selfish man. God says, I poured out my love on him and you can get in on it too. Just come. If you're thirsty for me, I'm wide open. All you have to do is come to Jesus. Turn from the empty and deceitful promises of sin and this world and come to Jesus as your only hope and satisfaction. He offers this to you. And with it, he makes a promise, verse seven, to the one who conquers, they will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. And we think, wait a second here. On one verse, Jesus, it sounds like Jesus is saying, this is a free gift, come to me. And the other verse, he's saying, verse 7, like, well, you've got to conquer to get it. You've got to earn it. This, this promise isn't a way of saying you can earn this bright future. Those who come to Jesus as weak, as thirsty, as needy, desiring him and his kingdom, guess what? They are the ones who conquer. They conquer through him. New Testament scholar Tom Schreiner put it this way. He says, eternal life is free, but those who receive it freely also conquer. The gift received empowers those who drink freely to overcome. If you come to Jesus with your need, with your brokenness, with your desire, and say, I want in on what you've got, I want you, he says, guess what? You will have me, and you will will succeed and conquer in me. This is encouragement for those who come to Christ to persevere in this life, for us to keep going, keep desiring, keep pressing on in Jesus, keep trusting, keep hoping. It's just motivation. It's the motivation that's been throughout this entire book of Revelation to pursue Christ and holiness and grace. He's saying once again, don't give up. Those who conquer, they win. They're called sons. They're in his family The reward is God himself. I will be his God and he will be my son. The the invitation and the promise of adoption and inheritance in God's family is for all those who will come and rest their life on Christ. And friends, this is just a way of the, the 
saying the sum total of God's promises and his covenants are his love for us. All you have to do is come to Christ. That's how we get in on his promised word. There's a warning here for us, lastly, in verse 8. The invitation is there, but what happens if you don't take hold of that invitation? What happens if you don't act on Jesus' words and receive his invitation and repent and turn to him? The sad news is that you won't get in on eternal joy and forever paradise with him. This is the reality that scripture talks about. There are two roads. One leads to life and it is the narrow road. And one leads to death and it is the broad road. And so if you reject Jesus and his promises, if you say, no, I like, this, I like this thing I've got going on here. I don't need you. I'm pretty strong myself. If you turn away from him, the warning is there. You will not experience eternal life and joy. No, instead you will experience hell forever. So as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers and the sexual immoral, sexually immoral, for sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Those who turn away, those who abandon, will live in evil. Those who break God's law, they act as their own God, they worship false gods, they pervert and distort the truth, they won't have this heritage with God. Their portion will be the lake that burns forever with fire and sulfur, hell. This writing is here to clearly lay out the path for us. It's to entice us back to Christ. Why head to destruction and death and eternal hell when life is offered to you, friend? Why why go that road? Come to Christ today. See the future that he promises. See the reality of his presence with you. See him and come to him. You may desire no pain. You may desire or long for no suffering or no hell. You may have some vision of heaven that you have in your heart and mind, but if you do not receive Jesus' words and act on them, if you don't receive Jesus himself, there will be no joy or paradise for you. Your desire must turn to action. So friend, let me ask you, do you long for the kingdom of God? Do you long for the day when God makes all things new? Jesus says you can get on. He offers himself freely to anyone who will come. And I know you may read verse 8 and you say, well, wait, there, I'm there. I'm, I'm cowardly. I've been faithless. I've been a liar. We're somewhere in between. Friends, the good news is that Jesus came as a human being for the cowardly and the faithful and the sexually immoral and for all liars. He came and he lived the perfect sinless life you couldn't in our place. He suffered as a sinner, even though he was not one. He took our place on the cross and died for our sins. He conquered, he overcame in the resurrection and offers his life and all that he is for anyone who will come to him. The question is really, do you have Jesus as yours? He's the only way to experience all things new. So yes, let's build our desire by looking for the new heavens and the new earth. Let's let's build anticipation by hearing and thinking about, again, the reality of God with us forever, wiping away all sorrow and sadness, and let's be eager for it. But let's receive Jesus, and by faith believe in him, and act on that hope, and there we will find life. Friend, your future in Christ, if you are in Christ, is incredibly bright. 
So let that future radically change your life and build desire for his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we just see a glimpse, just a a microscopic glimpse of the glory that is to come. But I would pray that in that glimpse, we would long for you all the more. That we would see who Christ is and what he has done for us. And that our hope and our our desire would, would change our lives. That our hope would be for you. So Father, I pray that we would come to you today. That we would draw near. And that we would receive what you have promised in Christ. That our lives would be made new. Even today as we long for the day when all things are made new. Work out in us, Lord, that good purpose that glorious future. May we rejoice in all that you've done for us in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.